Soundprints Audio Magazine, a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind. Soundprints is underwritten by the American Printing House for the Blind and the Louisville Downtown Lions Club. I'm Carla Rushevel. I'm your host for this week's magazine. This is Soundprints for the week of March 17, 2018. The Braille Revival League, BRL, is an affiliate of the American Council of the Blind. Check out their newly established Facebook page at Facebook dot com slash braille revival league b r a i l l e r e v i v a l l e a g u e b r l welcomes any person blind or sighted who believes in and is willing to work for the furtherance of braille as the primary medium of literacy for people who are blind or for whom Braille is a viable method of reading and writing to become a member of this exciting affiliate. BRL is a membership organization whose purpose is to promote the teaching, production, and broader acceptance and use of Braille as the primary tool of literacy for people who are blind. Its membership is comprised of Braille users, teachers, transcribers, Braille producers, and other individuals who are proponents and supporters of Braille. BRL believes Braille instruction should be available in all schools and other educational facilities to students who are blind or functionally blind, and that the mastering of Braille should become a required and integral part of the curriculum for the training of prospective teachers of students who are blind. The following article appeared in the Owensboro Messenger Inquirer and is about Michael Cleveland, who was our entertainment at the 2018 ACB Banquet. Fiddling Around Cleveland's Big Break Came in Owensboro by Keith Lawrence, Messenger Inquirer. Michael Cleveland and Flamekeeper will perform at the Woodward Theater at the Bluegrass Music Hall of Fame and Museum on March 16, 2019, Michael Cleveland got his big break in September 1993, a few days after his 13th birthday, when he was selected to perform during the International Bluegrass Music Association Awards Show at the River Park Center as part of the Bluegrass Youth All-Stars. Also in that band, put together by Pete Wernick, IBMA president, were Chris Thile, Cody Kilby, Josh Williams, and Brady Stodgill. That would be an all-star lineup today. Has there been any talk about a reunion performance? Quote, we did a reunion in 2003, the 10-year anniversary, Cleveland said recently. It was really fun. It would be a blast to do it again. Cleveland, now 38 and one of the most acclaimed fiddlers in bluegrass, returns to Owensboro on Saturday with his band, Flamekeeper, for a 7 p.m. show in the Bluegrass Music Hall of Fame's Woodward Theater. At 2 p.m., the Hall of Fame will screen a new documentary about Cleveland entitled Flamekeeper, The Michael Cleveland Story in Woodward Theater. Quote, 
I'm extremely happy with the documentary, Cleveland said. I was very hesitant to do it at first. We play Silver Dollar City in Missouri every year. The Presley family has a theater there, and John Presley came to see us, and he decided he wanted to make a documentary about us. Cleveland was hesitant. He was born blind with a cleft palate and lost 80% of his hearing when he was a young child. Focus on the music. I always want to keep the focus on my music, on my ability to play, Cleveland said. I never want it to be that I'm the blind guy who plays the fiddle. We want it to be about the music. But Presley let him approve everything in the documentary. If it inspires someone somewhere, that would be good, Cleveland said. It's not hard to concentrate on his music. Cleveland has been named Fiddle Player of the Year by the IBMA 11 times, and Flamekeeper, the band he organized in 2006, has been named Instrumental Group of the Year by the IBMA five times. None of my family played music, Cleveland said, but my grandparents were big bluegrass fans, and they started a bluegrass association back home in Henryville, Indiana. They wanted a place where pickers could jam, he said. Bands would sign up for 30-minute slots. They'd play all night. They'd tell me I was six months old when I went to my first bluegrass jam session. Of course, I don't remember it. Cleveland said, When I was four years old, I heard a fiddler play Orange Blossom Special, and it captivated me. There was a Suzuki Method classical music violin program at the Kentucky School for the Blind. They asked me what I knew about the violin. I said I didn't know anything about the violin, but I knew a lot about a fiddle. He said, they weren't too keen on me playing bluegrass. They didn't like it, but they taught me Orange Blossom Special. Cleveland said he grew up on the music of Bill Monroe, Flat and Scruggs, Jimmy Martin, and the Stanley Brothers. I heard Kenny Baker, Chubby Wise, Benny Martin, Vassar Clements, Bobby Ricks, Scotty Stoneman, all those great fiddle players, he said. And I got compilation albums that had music by a lot of different fiddlers. I've learned something or stolen something from every fiddler out there. He got a chance to play with Monroe, Doc Watson, Jim and Jesse McReynolds, Ralph Stanley, Mac Wiseman, Larry Sparks, Doyle Lawson, J.D. Crow, and others through the years. I didn't realize it at the time, but I was so lucky to have had the chance to meet my heroes and play with many of them, Cleveland said. When I was starting out, being able to make it professionally seemed so elusive, he said. Teachers kept telling me to have something to fall back on. That's good advice because my band members all have other jobs. We're pretty successful, but it's hard to make a living in bluegrass. In his teens, Cleveland played on the Grand Ole Opry and Prairie Home Companion, just two of the major venues he's played. Last year, he was inducted into the National Fiddler Hall of Fame. Posted by Keith Lawrence, 270-691-6301, K. Lawrence at messenger-inquirer.com. We remind you to sign up to attend the Kentucky Talking Book Library 50th Anniversary Celebration 
on Monday, April 1, from 1230 to 230 p.m. in Frankfurt. For more information, contact the Kentucky Council of the Blind at 502-895-4598 or the Kentucky Talking Book Library at 800-372-2968. Page 2 on this week's sound prints comes from our archives. In July and August 2017, we carried a two-part interview with Dan Spoon, ACB First Vice President. Dan talked about growing up with a visual impairment, his interesting jobs, including working at Disney World and running a pizza parlor, and losing his vision due to retinitis pigmentosa. We think you'll enjoy hearing the interview again. And on page 3 is the Sound Prince calendar. Page 2. Dan Spoon is the new first vice president of the American Council of the Blind. He's been on the ACB board of directors since 2012 and was just recently in Reno elected to the office of first vice president. Dan is from Orlando, Florida, and we're real pleased that he has moved up into to that office. But we're going to take some time here on Sound Prince to, to meet Dan, the, the person behind the first vice president. So, Dan, welcome to Sound Prince. We're glad you're here. Well, thank you, Carla. Thanks for inviting me, and uh, always have a fondness in my heart for Louisville, where I got elected to the board the, for the first time. So uh, <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, glad, to, glad to speak to everybody there in, uh, in Louisville today. Well, kind of introduce yourself to us. T- tell us... Um, Tell us a little bit about yourself, if you've always lived in Orlando, you know, where you went to school, what your interests are, you know, those kinds of things. Sure, be happy to. Well, um, I I'm actually was not born in Orlando. I was born in Athens, and, and not Athens, Greece, but Athens, Tennessee. Oh. Uh, my dad was uh, played football for the University of Tennessee. In fact, he was on in, recruited by General Nayland. If any Tennessee volunteers have ever oh heard of goodness. General Nayland, he was in his last uh, scholarship class there in uh, 1952 way back there and uh, so after he got done playing he got a job uh, as a football coach head football coach at Etowah High School in East Tennessee and so that's where I came along and uh, then uh, I was born in Athens because Etowah wasn't big enough to have a hospital so the closest hospital was in Athens okay kind of near Cleveland, Tennessee, in that area. And then um, at the age of two, my family, uh, my mom was pregnant with my sister, and they had come to uh, Daytona Beach, Florida, on their honeymoon and fell in love with Florida. And so they actually uh, relocated. Dad got a coaching job in in a school in Orlando called Edgewater High School. And we all moved down when I was two, and my mom was eight months pregnant with my sister. So Oh, my goodness. They came down, and then... Shortly after that, my sister was born, and so it's the four of us, and uh, we've kind of lived in Orlando ever since. So pretty much kind of like a native. I've been here for, Mm -hmm. I'm now 60, so I've been here 58 years. So Mm -hmm. as far as I know, I've always lived in Orlando. Right. Yeah. Well, and so you obviously were not going to be, um, I, I wouldn't think of you as a football player. Were you into sports as a kid? Oh, I was, you know, mm-hmm. being, my dad was a football coach, and also I played football, played basketball, but, mm-hmm. you know, it was one of those things that, you know, I, I, my blindness is due to retinitis pigmentosis, so mm-hmm. as I've gotten older, I got diagnosed when I was six years old, just a kid, I went up to Tennessee to visit my 
grandparents for the summer, and my grandmom was real worried I wasn't seeing things real well, so took me to a, a specialist, and they they said, oh, you're, you know, your grandson has, looks like retinitis pigmentosis, so my family all kind of freaked out there and learned all they could about it, and um, so, um, you know, I, I continued, I was kind of in, you know, through, went through the public school system, and my vision kept getting worse, uh, you know, with, as RP does as you get older. Right, so, right. Uh, and I had kind of that, I don't know what you call it, the, the form where uh, n- not so much the typical tunnel vision, but I had really issues with uh, light, you know, bright lights really bothered me, so I had to wear, you know, wear prescription sunglasses from an early age there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, got declared as legally blind when I was in high school. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, kind of uh, played some sports along, you know, played baseball till they hit the ball up in the sky and I couldn't see it anymore and it <laughs> almost hit me in the head. So that ended my Little League career. <laughs> so then, much for that career, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then I, I went ahead and did play a little football in high school but was never, uh, you know, they, they always said about me, uh, Dan Spoon is – Low and but he's also small, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, well, so that so career didn't last very long either. <laughs> and, and so I didn't play a lot, but I was on the team, and I uh-huh. and I will say it was a it was a really good character building experience. Mm-hmm. I would encourage people to always be involved in some team sport competition mm-hmm. club. I mean, it just really you know helps you deal with adversity and have a common goal and those type of things so even though i wouldn't say by any means i was a great athlete i did enjoy the opportunity to play you know through mm-hmm. my high school years or some of the other things you were interested in 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 high school maybe on you know as an adult uh, the kinds of you know hobbies or clubs those kinds of things yeah so so i have always been kind of a sports fan and then um uh, you know, went on to the University of Florida when I graduated from high school, and um, you know, spent, so so being a Florida Gator fan, I got to always kind of watch all the different sports there. Uh, so I've uh, you know enjoyed that, and then you know just kind of the the normal guy stuff there. I liked uh, you know going out and listening to music and going to clubs and that type of stuff. And I've always had a real um, interest in mathematics i was i was good in math growing up so um you know ended up kind of getting my degrees and my undergraduate degree in finance and then my master's in accounting so um you know worked a lot you know with numbers and that kind of stuff early on in my career so uh and just had a really good group of buddies growing up that always were kind of willing to work with me with my vision uh, so, you know, if we played basketball, they used a red, white, and ball, blue ball so I could see it. When we played handball, we were the only kids in the neighborhood, we played handball with a volleyball so I could see the volleyball and stuff like that. So I grew up with this really good group of buddies that I've stayed in touch with, you know, my whole life. Uh, met them, you know, in junior high school, and we've remained friends ever since. So uh, I spent time with them and, uh, you know, just... Uh, Enjoy going out and doing things and having a good time. Um, I've, I've always felt that, I've, you know, um, that one great thing we can do as blind and visually impaired people is go out there and socialize and be members of the community. And it's, 
amazing how that can be almost the best form of advocacy. It really, um, it's, it's good to get out there and, and get involved and show your face and, and just be a, you know, a, a, a contributing member of the community, I've always felt. Mm-hmm. Now, when you got out of college, you had the master's in accounting. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you, what, did you go to work? Uh, did, have you always worked at the um, one place, or have you worked oh. several places? Yeah, well, that's kind of, actually um, that was a that was a fairly difficult time for me. I um, while while I had gone to college, I you know one thing about living in orlando florida florida you're right next to the mouse house you know <laughs> yes. world. so i worked for the mouse you know there as a um uh, what they used to call a casual temporary so oh. when i wasn't going to school i worked at disney you know at uh, christmases and summers and spring breaks and mm-hmm. and those type of things and i actually worked in the entertainment department so which is the the characters, and so Dan, I, did you wear mouse ears? No, no, no. no, no. The <laughs> Mickey's are. If you're going to be a Mickey or Minnie, you have to be. You can only be like four foot ten. Oh, I see. Really okay. Short. And well, so, no, that wouldn't fit you. No. no so I no. was the six foot and above character. So I got to be Goofy and Tigger <laughs> and Brer Bear and Baloo and all those kind of things. And so, uh, and it Dan, was kind of interesting. With it my, just doesn't fit. <laughs> Just there, you know, I was, uh, you know, I used to have to wear, you know, dark sunglasses underneath my, uh, you know, costumes with right. uh, this defogger on it so they wouldn't fog up because it'd be 150 degrees in Florida in the summertime in those costumes. Oh, I'm sure. Oh. But, uh, but it was fun. I, I always, uh, one story I like to tell there is we used to do what we called, um, uh, uh, castle forecourt. So you would you would go to Cinderella's castle and you'd be dressed up and you'd go out down the ramps and sign autographs and all that stuff. And so our supervisor grabbed me and took me back behind the fence uh, to, you know, for what they called kind of a special VIP session. And so I get back behind the fence and it's Jimmy Buffett and his wife and their three-year-old daughter. Oh. And so, you know, you're not allowed to talk when you're in those costumes. And so, you know, here comes Jimmy Buffett up to him, and he says, Brer Bear, could we get your autograph? And I said, well, this is something else. I am giving Jimmy Buffett my autograph, and I'm wanting to say, oh, Jimmy, I love your autograph. I love your music. You know, I've been to ten of your concerts, you know, but instead i got to sit there and sign Brer Bear and Jimmy Buffett's <laughs> autograph book for his daughter. So, anyway, <laughs> Oh, things that'll happen to you. What so, a story! Yeah. So, oh, so yeah. I kind of did that, and when I, when I graduated, I had this feeling. You know, I'd done pretty well in my academic courses, and mm-hmm. so you know, back then, you, you're you're my age, caller, so you'd remember there was what they called the big eight accounting firms. So these mm-hmm. were the kind of the the real large accounting firms, and I interviewed with all of them, and and you know. My friends, people actually I'd even helped tutor to get through some of their accounting oh. classes were all getting jobs, oh. and I wasn't even getting a second call back. And finally, the company that's now been bought by somebody else, but they were called Price Waterhouse at the time. Mm-hmm. So they called me back for a second interview, and you know, I thought the interview went well. And finally, the partner pulls me aside into another room and says, Dan, I've taken your story, I've, I've socialized it around our, our firm, 
but we're just not going to hire a blind or visually impaired person to come be an accountant. They 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 just see can't see how that could possibly work out. Mm-hmm. And you know, of course, it was a different era. That was like 1981. Right, and, and no computers and, either. And at that right, and at mm-hmm. that point in time, he said, you know, Dan, we just hired our first woman two years ago. <laughs> so. You know, so okay. this is just way too big of a stretch for us to hire a disabled person. And so, mm-hmm. so I went back to my um, college accounting professors and said, you know, what do I do? And they said, well, Dan, we really recommend that you go get your doctorate and just become a, a professor. And I'm like, gosh, I'm 24 years old. I've been going to college. I've been going to school since I was five. You know, I I want to go do something different. And so I want to go to work. And so at that point in time, I went back to my Division of Blind Services counselor here in Florida, and they, they got me an interview at Disney where I had worked all those summers. Okay. And they offered me a job making $4 an hour as an accounts payable clerk. And I said, well, what are you talking about? I've got a master's degree. And they said, well, this is the way we start everybody. And I'm like, no, you don't. And so I, you know, I was just extremely frustrated. So... This is a total 180, Carla, but my college roommate and, and one of my close friends, Lou Nostro, his, his parents owned a couple of pizza places in Orlando. And so I, I got Lou's brother, Mike, to teach me how to make pizzas and subs. And me and a friend named Jerry, we opened up a pizza place. And so that's what I did when I got out of college. I opened up DG's Pizza. We had no Italian blood in us whatsoever, but my name was Dan and his name was Jerry with a G. Uh. We put eyes in it to make it look Italian, so it was DG's Pizza. And so for the next uh, seven or eight years, I ran a pizza restaurant with uh, my partner, Jerry. First we had one, then we opened up a second one. And... It was a really good experience. You know, I was in a small neighborhood community in outside of Orlando, a community called Okoy, Florida. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, we, uh, you know, we sold pizzas and subs, and then we later on we started delivering, and we had videos for rent that people could come in. We had a whole wall of VHS videos, <laughs> and so you know, it was. It was a really good experience that mm-hmm. helped me understand, you know, business and customers and, you know, balancing payroll and, and budgets and those type of things and sales. But as I got older, my employees kind of all stayed the same age. You know, you hire 16, 17-year-olds, and as soon as they are out of high school, they're ready to leave the pizza business and go on to other jobs, yeah. go to college. And you get more 16 and 17-year-olds. So at some point there, I felt like I became a babysitter, and my vision kept getting worse and worse and worse. And right. so at that point in time, I uh, kind of changed my, really did another 180, and I went back to our community college. It's called Valencia Community College here in Orlando. Mm-hmm. And they offered a program called High-Tech Training for the Disabled, where they were teaching people how to be mainframe COBOL programmers and job control language, uh, you know, uh, JCL. Uh, And so I went and took this program, which it uh, it was nine months. You had to go from eight to five, Monday through Friday. Oh, my goodness. uh, a navy suit and tie to to community college every day. So back in the you know late 80s, everybody's in 
tie-dye shirts and cut-off shorts, and I'm in a three-piece suit walking around this college campus with a group of uh, my other disabled buddies. Uh-huh. I was the only blind person. They had, they had offered it to all disabled people except for blind people. Oh. So they finally <laughs> opened it up where a blind person could, could try to take the courses because mm-hmm. they were finally getting the computers to where they could do a little bit of large print or have a little bit of audio. Right. You know, so. Right. You know, it's hard to think of it back then, but they, they had, you know, the, the personal computer had just kind of gotten, you know, invented or... That's right. ...a year or yeah. two earlier. Yeah, So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I went through that program and, uh, you know, I ran my pizza place at nights and on the weekends and then did that during the week. Uh, and that was hard. I had to, uh, you know, cut my pay down to almost nothing, $75 a week in order to hire somebody to kind of manage the place when I wasn't there. Sure, so, during the day. During the day, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it was really kind of living on uh, living on pizza, basically. <laughs> and so, but once I got through the program, um, the one thing that they had going for them was they had um, put a good business advisory council together with the you know top 15 or so businesses in, in Orlando, Florida, uh-huh. The Disney's, the SeaWorlds, the AT&T's, and so I was lucky enough to get a job, uh, an in, an unpaid internship with Westinghouse uh, Electric. Um, so mm-hmm. uh, I went to work for them and uh, did that for three months when I got out of the program, and then after that they offered me a an entry level position as a computer programmer, and that was 1989, and I ended up. Uh, you know, basically doing that until I retired in 2014. So I ended up working for first Westinghouse, and then we were bought by Siemens Energy mm-hmm. along the way. And so that that was kind of my real professional career. I ended up doing that for, for 25 years and moving from a programming position up into a job in accounting for a while. Finally got to do the accounting. Yeah. Work. Huh. And then ultimately, uh, I became a project manager for our um, doing kind of global implementations of of software and business processes. You know, ended up being a, a second level manager there with you know thirty or forty people working for me, and then a, and then a number of contractors. So it ended up being a really good career, but it was a it was a, it was it was through lots of. Uh, uh, different trials and tribulations to finally get there. What a great story, though. <laughs> because, Dan, you yeah. know, kids coming out of school today, they expect, and not just kids with disabilities, just right. kids in general, they expect to get into whatever their dream position is immediately. And mm-hmm. and they never give consideration to moving up through the ranks or figuring out how they're going to get to that job and having to take something else in between. That's just not even in their thoughts. You know? Oh, no. And, 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 you, and what I learned, and I'm sure you learned this along the way, too, you've kind of got to be your own best self-advocate, and right. you've got to figure out how you can get the job done, given whatever, you know, materials right. and skills you have available at the time and so you know that you know what i learned is i i don't know this is not to disparage the rehab 
system or the Division of Blind Services or any of those things, but I got very little support through my career from the Division of Blind Services. I, I mainly, uh, it, it ended up kind of really kind of making my own breaks along the way and kind of, you know, pushing to, um, you know, to kind of get what I needed to get the job done. And, and a lot of that is just networking and developing good relationships. I was lucky enough to get a job, uh, an, in, an unpaid internship with Westinghouse, electric. Um, so mm -hmm. uh, I went to work for them and uh, did that for three months. And then after that, they offered me a an entry-level position as a computer programmer. And that was 1989. And I ended up, uh, you know, basically doing that until I retired in 2014. So I ended up working for first Westinghouse, and then we were bought by Siemens Energy. Mm -hmm. along the way and so that that was kind of my real professional career I ended up doing that for for 25 years and moving from a programming position up into a job in accounting for a while finally got to do the accounting yeah. Yeah. and then ultimately uh, I became a project manager for our um, doing kind of global implementations of, of software and business processes and and, uh, you know, ended up being a, a second-level manager there with, you know, 30 or 40 people working for me and then a, and then a number of contractors. So it ended up being a really good career, but it was, a, it was, it was, it was through lots of uh, uh, different trials and tribulations to finally get there. What a great story, though, <laughs> because, Dan, you know, kids coming out of school today, they expect, and not just kids with disabilities, just right. kids in general, they expect to get into whatever their dream position is immediately, and mm -hmm. and they never give consideration to moving up through the ranks or figuring out how they're going to get to that job and having to take something else in between. That's just not even in their thoughts. You know? Oh, no. And, 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 you, and what I learned, and I'm sure you learned this along the way, too, you've kind of got to be your own best self-advocate, and right. you've got to figure out how you can get the job done, given whatever, you know, materials right. and skills you have available at the time. And so... You know that. You know what I learned is I. I don't. This is not to disparage the rehab system or the Division of Blind Services or any of those things. But I got very little support through my career from the Division of Blind Services. I. I mainly. Uh, it, it ended up kind of, really kind of making my own breaks along the way and kind of you know pushing to. Um, you know, to kind of get what I needed to get the job done. And and a lot of that is just networking and developing good relationships. So, mm -hmm. you know, the same mm -hmm. thing works for blind people that works for sighted people. You've got to be, you're going to end up in a team environment, so you've got to end up in a position where, you know, people want to work with you and there's there's skills and assets you can bring to the table and skills and assets they can bring to the table. And so... Um, it was very interesting as I went along, you know, the first time I would have a meeting and new people would, you know, would, uh, you know, meet me for the first time and I'd walk into a meeting with my cane and they'd say, 
oh, my God, what is he doing here? <laughs> and, you know, some of the people know me would just smile and they'd say, well, you know, give him an opportunity and see what he does. And, and my goal was that in six or eight weeks when we had follow-up meetings, I wanted them to say, oh, we can't have this meeting without Dan Spoon there. We need Dan Spoon before we're going to have the meeting. So mm-hmm. the idea was to be able to bring value, and so they kind of, look through or ignored your blindness because of the, you know. The but value. you had earned that. You earned it, yeah. Yeah, you you earned it. You didn't just um, command that the first time you walked in the door. No, you, you, you sit there and you, you're a sponge to start with. I mean, you're mm-hmm. just learning. I mean, anybody that's going to any kind of career, I mean, the best thing you can do for the first six months is just, listen and learn and ask lots of stupid questions uh, at the appropriate times. Yes. (laughs) Not in the middle of big meetings, but, you know, you pull your colleagues aside and say, what did they mean by that? What did they, you know, what were they talking about there? And then over time you start developing expertise and then then you can start really adding value. And then then you have to really be, um, I've always felt in my... um, you know, my wife's the same way with this. Is you've got to be tenacious, and I know you are too, Carly. You just you you don't accept no, right? You just keep working right. at it until you um, until you get to where you're you're trying to get to. Yeah, and your comments about how you basically did a lot of things on your own are mm-hmm. interesting because many years ago, um, I uh, it would irritate me more than you can imagine for. Uh, just the concept that um, it, some rehab counselor out there got credit for a job placement that someone else had done, mm-hmm. and uh, and I, so they didn't get that person a job. The person got the job themselves, or someone else got the job, uh, helped them to get it. It was a friend, or you know, the networking thing. Yeah. And I thought, well, it's all about how, networking. Yeah. yeah, and I think, well, how? How how does this how is this correct that the rehab counselor gets to basically get credit for the placement? Mm-hmm. Well, many years ago, uh, I spent two years being a rehab counselor. Right. And this sort of changes the perspective of things when you're on the other side of the desk. Right. And, and I said, I asked my supervisor one day. I said, How is it that we can? in good faith, take credit for a placement that we really didn't do. Mm-hmm. And his response was, now, Carla, did you send this particular client, did we pay for that client to go to college? Right. Well, yes, we did. Mm-hmm. Well, what did we expect them to learn in college? Well, they were, you know, whatever the major they were. Well, right. what else do we expect them to learn in college? Mm-hmm. Did we expect that experience to teach them anything other than what they got in that classroom well you know how to how to figure out how to get through things how to do and he says you know if a person has the skill to get we don't go and sit in that classroom and hold their hand but we've paid for the degree we, right. We've paid the expenses, but we didn't go to that class for them. We didn't take the test for them. When they come out, we would expect, uh, he said, I don't have a problem with expecting them to have some idea of how to 
apply for a job and go and interview for that job and get that job. He said, now, you need to help them do that, but you're not going to do that for them because if you do it for them, how are they going to work on that job if, if they couldn't figure out how to get the thing? Mm-hmm. And so I thought about that, and and I, I sort of moved off that hardline position. We used to have a, a CFO at, at Siemens that talked about, you know, putting new tools in your backpack. And, and mm-hmm. I, I would really encourage that for anybody as they, as they go through their life and, and their work mm-hmm. career is mm-hmm. every opportunity you get is an opportunity to learn a new skill, put a new tool in your backpack, and you never know when that's going to come along and help you in the, you know, the next opportunity that you might have. Um, right. You know, at first, you know, I was very frustrated that I didn't get a job with finance and accounting. But then at the end of the day, you know, having you did have it. those skills yes. and then the computer skills together mm-hmm. then gave me, you know, that, that generated a lot of value when they were looking for somebody who understood the computers and understood accounting. So, you right. know, it kind of um, ended up being being something that was very beneficial in the right. end, but it, it's, at some point it seemed frustrating. But you really do, um, you know, learn as you go along. I, you know, I think the same way with with ACB. You know, if you're on a committee uh, or you get an opportunity to be on a task force, and you take that and you really work work through that and learn from people who may know more than you at that point in time on that particular subject, mm-hmm. it's amazing how that then adds value for you as you go on to your next opportunity. And that isn't going to happen if you get appointed to a committee. You're not the chair, right. but you get appointed to that committee, but you don't bother to show up for the meetings. Right, right. You have to show up. And if yeah. you can't, it, I know there are people that I know that that. That's, well, I, you know, I don't know why, you know, I, I want to be on a committee. Mm-hmm. Well, they don't, but they get appointed, and then they don't come. Mm-hmm. And and then they wonder why they don't get, well, I've been on this committee for two years. I don't know why they didn't think of me as chair. People wonder why they don't move into some other position. So, right. you know, those opportunities Sometimes are I important. there's a fear of failure there, or you're going to mm-hmm. get ridiculed for not doing a good job. and. Mm-hmm. And you have to kind of get over that, that, you know, we're all going to fail. Right. (laughs) We've all done that. (laughs) We succeed sometimes and we fail sometimes. But I don't know about you. I typically learn more from my failures than I do my successes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I think, uh, you know, you've got to be able to to put your foot out there and and take some action items and try. And then when you have some success, then it really you know, encourages you to, you know, to take on the next opportunity. Well, so Um, speaking of the next opportunity, you as ACB first vice president is, is just at this point in ACB's, um, in ACB's history is, seems to me at least to be such a good fit because building on that project manager background, um, you know, we're, we're into a new strategic planning phase um, we're just moving in so many new directions tell us tell us what you see for the coming years in in ACB 
Well, I, you know, and, uh, you know, first let me take the opportunity to thank you for all of your contributions and being our treasurer for the last six years. And um, I think as we saw the development report uh, at this year's uh, pre-convention board meeting, Mm -hmm. uh, you can see all the progress that, you know, the staff and the board and leadership and all of ACB has made in the last four or five years, uh, you know, in the area of, of our budget and finance and revenue. And so I think, um, you know, we've had to make some really hard decisions, but I think we've gotten uh, our organization to the point where we're actually, you know, having revenue that's, that's equaling our expenses. And now even last year we had, you know, the ability to generate a couple hundred thousand dollars above our expenses, mm-hmm. which kind of bodes for an exciting future for ACB to be able to, uh, you know, to grow and bring on some, you know, uh, additional staff resources, Mm -hmm. hopefully, if we can continue to stabilize those revenue sources over the next couple of years, and uh, and provide more good programs and services for blind and visually impaired people. So I see it as a really... um, it's an it's a very exciting time. I think the um, you know there's multiple facets to ACB. So um, it, it, if I digress a, a little bit here, Carl, I apologize for that. But I think the number one thing that's the most important with ACB, and, and, and don't get me wrong, I think advocacy is hugely important. But I think the number one service that ACB offers is is support and, and peer counseling for individuals who are going through vision loss that there's a home, there's a place for those individuals to be where they can, they can socialize and have experiences at the local level, the state level, and the national level with people that are going through the same experiences that they're going through. And mm-hmm. so... For those of us that have been involved in ACB for a while or have been dealing with our blindness for a long period of time, we've maybe gone beyond that support level a little bit. But for, for others, to me, that's the first and foremost reason for ACB, is for people to socialize and, and find role models and find experiences where, where other people have been there before them and are happy and having fun and succeeding with their lives. And so uh, I always don't want to ever underestimate that. And and for those who have been to conventions, you'll know that by the time we get to the hard advocacy stuff, probably, you know, over half of the people that have come to the convention have left. (laughs) (laughs) And, And that's because primarily one of the most important roles that ACB plays is the role of peer support, mentoring, and, and creating a safe, uh, independent environment where people can flourish. So I really think that's very important. And then, you know, uh, on our advocacy efforts, I think what we're learning there is that, you know, you have to not only advocate through, through the legislative process, uh, and I think we've had several very good legislative seminars in a row and a, you know, and a crowd of over 100 that went and you know, walked the hills of Congress, and we've had some good successes at our local affiliate level with state legislatures and local governments. But I think we're also finding that there's a real opportunity to advocate 
within partnerships with corporations. And so I think this is kind of a new direction we've headed over the last uh, few years with our uh, with the leadership of our new executive director, Eric Bridges. And so I've been very excited to see some of the progress that we've made in those areas uh, with work we've been doing with Microsoft, uh, with Google, with Amazon, with so many of these uh, large tech companies. Uh, we are really, I think, presenting ourselves as, as capable, independent, blind people who want to partner with these corporations. And I think we're seeing that more and more at our convention every year where these companies are coming, uh, they're wanting to do focus groups, they're really wanting to get our opinions as blind and visually impaired people. Mm -hmm. They're hiring blind and visually impaired people into their accessibility uh, departments and into their programming departments. And so I think that's, that's a real exciting direction that we're going in and, and want to see us to le see us continue to leverage that more and more as we move into the future. And then, you know, at the government legislative advocacy level, we always are going to have a need there to, to be visible, to get our voice out there, and to make sure that, that people realize that we're, we're citizens first, not blind people, and we have rights, and uh, we need to be listened to. And uh, ACB has always done a very good job of doing that in a professional way, but in a non-militant way. And so... Uh, I think we'll continue to do excellent work in that area. So, so all those I think are are really. I, I think things are going well. What What are your thoughts? Well, I agree. I, I you know, I, I I couldn't add anything to that because um, I think you've touched on the major areas that affect ACB and therefore affect blind and visually impaired people in this country and I could not agree more that ACB needs to be um, continuously reaching out and providing a place for people who are experiencing vision loss to find um, the mentoring and the and the the socializing and and then through that find the resources whether they be you know where do I get a talking clock or where do I find um, in the case of a young person a scholarship mm -hmm. you know there's just so many different things um, that people need no two people are alike and um, while we cannot be all things to all people, if, if we know where they can find um, the help and if we can kind of um, help them, you know, through some of that adjustment mm -hmm. time, I, I mean, I think uh, there's so much work to be done, just just an incredible amount. We have a lot of opportunities, don't we? Yes, we do. <laughs> we certainly do. And there's all kinds of ways to reach people mm -hmm. um, today, and ACB is really, really moving um in, in tw you know, 20 years ago, we would have had no idea that ACB would have had a thing called ACB Link as an iPhone app. Right. <clears throat> that, I mean, 20 years ago, ACB Radio didn't even exist. Right. And so, you know, there's been huge change, and and there will be more change coming up. And, and our new strategic plan gives much, much 
um, guidance to that kind of change. It's it's just an exciting time. It really is. Yes. And, um, and I, you know, uh, and I give the leadership credit. It's it's hard. Change is difficult. I, I, mm-hmm. I you know, being a person who kind of had to be an agent of change management with my my job at work doing project mm-hmm. management. It's, mm-hmm. Change is typically everybody is like, I'm all for change. I'm for the other person changing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I want them to change, not me. <laughs> so when it becomes personal, it's a little harder to change. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, Dan, again, congratulations. And, you know, thanks for being with us on Soundprints. Hope you'll be with us again soon. Okay. Thank you very much, Carla. I appreciate the time. Very good. All right. Page 3, the Sound Prince calendar. March 22 is the GLCB roundabout, including Education and Technology, 3.30 to 5 p.m., the Tip Sheet, 5 to 5.30, Page Turners and a Meeting of the Tri-State Library Users, 5.30 to 6, Dinner at 6 p.m., a KCB Next Generation activity, Games and Crafts after 7 o'clock. At United Crescent Hill Ministries, call 502-895-4598 to sign up. March 24 is the ACB Family Support Group Meeting at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. You can participate from anywhere in the country. Call 712-432-3900 and enter code 796096. March 25 is the Guide Dog Users of Kentuckiana March Membership Meeting. At 7 p.m. Eastern by phone, call 605-475-6006 and enter code 294444. April 1, Kentucky Talking Book Library Open House and Birthday Celebration. Make plans to visit the Kentucky Talking Book Library's Open House in Frankfort and help them celebrate 50 years of service. From 12.30 to 2.30 p.m., at the Kentucky Talking Book Library in Frankfort. For more information, contact the Kentucky Council of the Blind at 502-895-4598 or the Kentucky Talking Book Library at 800-372-2968. On April 1, Savvy will have a program committee meeting at 7 p.m. Central Time on the Zoom line at 669-900-6833. Intercode three five seven two five nine five one nine three. On April two, the Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision will have its next conference call. This will be a business meeting and support group call at eight p.m. Eastern Time six six nine nine zero zero six eight three three. Intercode three five seven two five nine five one nine three. On April four, the American Council of Blind Lions will have its monthly call. For Lions from across the United States, an excellent opportunity to share ideas about how to be involved in your local clubs. 9 p.m. Eastern, call 712-432-3900 and enter code 796096. On April 5, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will have a roundabout from 3.30 to 10 p.m., including education and technology, discussion, dinner at 6 and games and crafts after dinner. For more information and to sign up, call 502-895-4598. On April 6, the Kentucky Council of the Blind will sponsor Crossroads, Remember the Member. 
from 10 a.m. to 6.30 p.m. The focus will be on member recruitment and retention. The $25 registration includes continental breakfast, lunch, and dinner. A $50 per car stipend is available to attendees from outside the Metro Louisville area. For more information and to register, call the Kentucky Council of the Blind at 502-895-4598. April 7, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will hold committee meetings, advocacy at 7 p.m. and education, activities, and technology at 8 p.m. On the conference line at 605-475-6006, enter code 294444. On April 8, ACB Next Generation will have its nationwide business call at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time, 669-900-6833. Enter code 3572-595-193. On April 9, the Support Alliance of the Visually Impaired, SAVVY, will have its monthly meeting in Owensboro from 1 to 3 p.m. Central Time. Patty Haas of the Evansville Association for the Blind will share information and offer items from their store for examination and purchase. The Social Committee will also finalize plans for the May Social at the Wing Avenue Baptist Church, 628 Wing Avenue in Owensboro. For more information, contact Rick Bogus at 270-684-4418 or share a lot at 270-686-8629. April 12, Savvy Workshop, Ears for Eyes and MD Support, 10 a.m. to noon Central Time. Join us to learn about Ears for Eyes and MD Support. Wing Avenue Baptist Church, 628 Wing Avenue in Owensboro. Reservations are required. Call 270-684-4418 or 270-686-8689. April 12, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will hold its quarterly meeting and elections. Beginning with registration at 4.30 p.m., there will be a variety of activities concluding at 9 p.m., all at United Crescent Hill Ministries in Louisville. The cost will be $6 per person. Please call 502-895-4598 to sign up. On April 13, there will be a savvy bowling outing from 3.30 to 5.30 p.m. Central Time at Diamond Lanes Midtown, 1901 Triplet Street in Owensboro. Register by calling 270-684-4418 by noon on April 12. Savvy will pay for rental of up to two lanes. If additional lanes are needed, the $38 per lane cost will be divided equally among participants. Everyone is responsible for shoe rental, $250, snacks, etc. April 20 will be an Easter holiday open house from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. at the American Printing House for the Blind Museum. Visitors can write their names in Braille, see a book from Helen Keller's Bible, Learn about guide dogs, play games, and read books designed for children who are blind. And enjoy many other activities. Easter treats and lemonade will be served for all ages. Call the APH Museum at 502-899-2213 for more information and to sign up. April 26 will be a savvy workshop, Android phone accessibility and app sharing. From 10 a.m. to noon central, 
Learn about Android accessibility and some popular apps at the Wing Avenue Baptist Church in Owensboro. For more information, call 270-684-4418 or 270-686-8689. April 27, the old ball game, from 1 to 3 p.m. Can athletes who are blind play baseball? Of course they can, in the adaptive version of America's favorite pastime called beep ball. Whether in the batter's box or in the field, athletes rely on their auditory sense to focus on the beeping ball and the buzzing bases. The first documented game of baseball was played at the Kentucky School for the Blind in 1894. 125 years later, we're showing you how it's played now. At the American Printing House for the Blind Museum in Louisville, call 502-899-2213 for more information. On Saturday, May 4, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will host its annual derby party. From 10 a.m. until 7.30 p.m., food and fun and games all day long. More details coming soon. July 5 to July 12 is the 58th annual ACB Conference and Convention in Rochester, New York. Members of the Kentucky Council of the Blind are eligible to receive a stipend of up to seven nights hotel stay based on double occupancy at the convention. For more information, call 502-895-4598. And the 2019 reunion of the Kentucky School for the Blind Alumni Association will be Friday, July 26, and Saturday, July 27 at the Ramada Inn, 1041 Zorn Avenue in Louisville. More information will be available on Soundprints soon. If you have questions about the Kentucky Council of the Blind or you need information on resources for people with vision loss, call us at 502-895-4598 or email us at kcb at kentucky-acb.org. Sound Prince is a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind and is heard each week on ACB Radio Mainstream at acbradio.org, Central Kentucky Radio I at radioi.org, and the KCB website at www.kentucky-acb.org. Complete schedule information is also available on the website. Sound Prince is underwritten by the Louisville Downtown Lions Club, and by the American Printing House for the Blind. This is Carla Rushable for Soundprints. Have a great week, everybody.